know if you'd call it a skill or just sort of the disposition or personality trait of being curious, one of the ways that would manifest is by asking questions and focusing primarily on other people. And I think that that's a behavior that can be learned and will have the effect. This is sort of like, is it the tail wagging the dog? It will have the effect of making you more curious because you'll learn interesting things about people where if you're asking a lot of questions, you're going to be surprised at what you find. You're going to be surprised by how often your assumptions about people are wrong. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Liston Witherell. Liston's a B2B sales consultant and trainer and host of a podcast titled Modern Sales, on which I was honored to be a guest earlier this year. And in this conversation, Liston and I dig into the topic of building better sales habits using the science of habit formation. Now, this whole topic of habits and sales is a favorite topic of mine. You know, where many people see skills, I, I see habits, habits practiced over and over that can become skills. Like the ability to connect with another person on a human level, that's habit. Curiosity is a habit. And if you work on your curiosity habit, the skill of asking great questions begins to emerge. So basically, the thing you do well are habits. You should look at them that way. It's a better perspective for a seller to have. So listen, I dig into this idea of the basic habits that all salespeople need. And we also dive into the science behind forming habits, or more accurately, modifying habits. You know, there are various schools of thoughts about how to do this, and Liston and I dig into some of those. So make sure you stay tuned for all that and much, much more. Before we get to Liston, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Liston, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. So where have you been hanging out during the pandemic? Uh, mostly indoors as Mm -hmm. people are, um, yeah, at home. So I live in Portland, Oregon. Um, we have tried to get out a little bit. We haven't traveled at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we built a patio, um, or actually I paid someone to build a patio, which is a a great sales story. (laughs) And, uh, we're going to, we're going to hear that. So, okay, go ahead. No, 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 we don't want to get derailed. Um, and then, uh, I bought a smoker this summer, which has been oh. awesome. So now I'm become obsessed with smoking meat. Got um, it. So that gets me outside too. I mean, the, not too far from the house, but on the side of the house, the pit master. So what are the things that you've smoked that you enjoy the most? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think my wife prefers the whole smoked chickens. Mm. Um, I am really partial to pork ribs but yes. I've done brisket, I've done pork ribs, I've done pork butt or pork shoulder, yep. which most people know is pulled pork. Yep. Um, yeah, whole chickens. Um, Tried done turkey. Pizza. I haven't done turkey yet. Um, turkey's easy. Uh, yeah. We've also done pork loin, which is also incredibly oh, easy. Yeah. yeah. Pizza on the smoker is actually excellent too. So Interesting. We've, we've done that several times. So interesting. So what wood do you use to smoke a pizza? Uh, well, wood, right? Yeah, but like hickory um, <laughs> or mesquite or. Oh, so I, I got a, I'm a cheater. I bought a Traeger grill. And, uh, for those of you unfamiliar with how smoking works, typically 
there's like a firebox and you put whole pieces of wood in there, you turn it into coal and that's what provides the smoke. Um, and you have to constantly monitor it for temperature right. to keep the low steady heat. Right. right. With a Traeger grill, you just dump these special wood pellets in and it ah. automatically does all the monitoring for you. And it Got has it. a, a feeder where it feeds the pellets in to maintain consistent temperature. <laughs> Sounds good though. I mean, I, good. I, yeah. Unfortunately where I live, I can't have a grill or a smoker. Otherwise I'd, I'd probably be onto that by now. I love, love that. All right. Well, so here's a question for you is, is what lesson have you learned about yourself personally during the pandemic? Mm. That's a good question. Um, probably more than one lesson. I think the thing that what, so I've worked from home for about six years, mm-hmm. um, or maybe, yeah, maybe coming up on seven years. I don't, I've lost track at this point. Well, and yeah, we're, in, we're in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, six months seems like six years, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Time, the passage of time has gotten incredibly weird, hasn't it? Um, yeah. And given that I've worked from home and independently for so long, I think I discounted the importance of all the little micro interactions I had with people throughout the day. So going to the coffee shop, Mm -hmm. I'm a avid gym goer and I haven't been to the gym since March. Um, but I would go, you know, five days a week to the gym and I really miss that. And even though I didn't go there to talk to people, just being in the presence of other people matters. And so I think I had underestimated how important all of those interactions were and sort of how maddening sometimes it can feel to just be on the other side of a computer constantly. Even yeah. though I do meet with people, you know, I think you're sure. my sixth phone call today. I meet with people constantly, but um, it's not the same. Right. Yeah, interesting. So what are you doing to replace the gym? Well, luckily we have equipment in our basement. We have a basement with tall ceilings. And so I've got um, enough equipment downstairs to do a full workout. So that's what I do. You're a power lifter? Well, you can't do power. I, well, I can't do power lifting in my basement because I don't have the equipment. But mm-hmm. yeah, I did power lifting. Like I would, you know, deadlift once a week and bench press and all the kind of main um, power lifting movements. Um, so yeah, I do miss that. I'll, I'll be keen to get back in the gym yeah. and start that up again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Wow. I, on my morning bike ride, I mean, on one of the routes I take, I pass by a, a gym that they built a outdoor cage <laughs> and put all the equipment out there. And, uh, you know, everybody's masked up and working out outdoors. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. We're going to talk about uh, habits and how to build better sales habits. And um, I guess first question for you is, what's the difference between a habit and a skill? Uh, okay. So um, th- that is a good question. So I'm just looking up the definition of a skill. It says the ability. <laughs> he's, to be- he's, ladies and gentlemen, he's going to Google. <laughs> the definition of a skill is the ability to do something well or expertise, right? Whereas a habit is something that we do on a recurring basis, right? And the definition mm-hmm. of a habit is three things. There's a trigger, there's a routine, and there's a reward. Those are the things that we need present in order to have a habit. So we apply skills in our habits. So if, you know, for instance, one of my skills may be, um, 
<laughs> podcasting, but it doesn't matter that much if I don't show up and do it on a regular basis. Right. Um, and so I think in, in the context of sales, one of the places where I see this manifest the most is people may have some skills when it comes to say prospecting, but they haven't built up the habit. They, you know, they say things like, gosh, you know, my pipeline is looking lean. I know I should be doing this more often, but I'm not, or mm-hmm. I'm reaching 10 prospects a week, but I should be reaching 30. Um, and so there's, there's sort of a lack of a habit. They know what they should be doing. They basically know how to do it. And actually their skills often will become enhanced if they make it a habit or something that they do more often, because that's what hap- happens with practice. But um, the habit is kind of the missing piece. Yeah. Well, I think the habit, and that's sort of the reason I was asking it to lead into this, is that, yeah, in my mind, the habit is the base, right? You've got this behavior, and you can't become proficient at it or turn to a skill unless you do it repetitively, to your point. Um, so I think when people think about, yeah, I've got to get better at yeah whatever part, whatever sales skill, is the first step is you have to think about, yeah, how do you change your existing habit uh, to make it something that you do on a you know, repeated basis consistently. Is that the question? Yeah, it's sort of a statement. Um, and you can respond to that or not. That's up to you. Um, so in your mind, what sort of the baseline sales habits that sellers need? I've, I've spent some time thinking about this and written about a, a fair amount, but I'm curious what you, what's on your list. Well, it depends on their role, right? So, well, let's just uh, take a account executive. Again, I think it depends on what are the requirements of the job of the account executives, and what I mean by that is, in some cases, there are organizations where um, the roles are very, very specialized, and there are clear boundaries between an SDR or a BDR and account executive and a customer success person, right? So, I think though that in that case. Um, one of the core habits that a salesperson needs to have, the account executive, would be maintaining and following up on their pipeline would be an obvious one, right? Where it's like, we should always be checking in and reprioritizing what are the key activities that I can undertake that will help my clients the most this week or my prospects the most this week mm-hmm. and are most likely to create results, right? So. I'm a big believer that there, you know, focusing on the results is not the right way to focus. Of course, results matter, but the right focus is what activities do I need to do in order to increase the likelihood of driving those results? Like, in other words, you're not going to close anything if, or you're unlikely to close something if you're not following up or executing the tasks that you need to on your pipeline. Mm-hmm. I think another one is um, another habit also a skill. Um, but in this case, a habit, meaning you should be doing it every single time is, um, asking great questions and I think reflection, right? So it's not enough to ask great questions. You also need to reflect afterwards. What happened? What did I hear from the person? How could I have phrased that question a little bit differently? Did they interpret what I was asking correctly? The, you know, for me, those are the, the kind of key things that are going to make a huge difference. And then of course, you know, I believe outreach is kind of a core habit that everyone needs to start adopting. And I don't mean that strictly from 
you know, contacting prospects. That could also be mm-hmm. contacting industry thought leaders. That could be contacting people I appreciate. That could be contacting, you know, peers at other companies. Um, you know, having creating a habit so that you're extending the size of your network and the resources within your network, um, and also giving back to that network, I think right. is really critical. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll maybe dig into that some more. I mean, I agree on all those that you, you talked about. Um, what about mindset? Is that a habit? I don't think so. I mean, having, let's say, a growth mindset. Uh-huh. Is, is that a habit? Because, I mean, you have the, the ability to, to change that, or you believe people have the ability to change and so on. But is that, that outlook, is that, because it can be acquired, so if a, a mindset can be acquired, can it really become a habit? Well, I don't think the mindset itself is a habit. I, I don't want to get into a semantic discussion, but I, I do think that, um, so for instance, in order to adopt more of a growth mindset, and we could get into uh, <laughs> a separate discussion about sort of free will and the plasticity of the mind and how much could someone reasonably change, but certainly most people can improve or make some marginal change in their mindset. Um, so when it comes to a growth mindset, a habit that could lead to more of a growth mindset could be something like asking yourself why you see your sale as a zero-sum game, as opposed to uh, a situation in which two people or two entities can both win, right? And there can be a world of abundance. Um, you know, a habit could be some sort of mantra or phrase you repeat that can lead to more of a growth mindset. Sure. Affirmations, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that can contribute that something that you do that in order to, on a daily basis, in order to uh, remind yourself, if nothing else is, is a trigger, if you will. Right. But I don't think the mindset, I don't think the mindset itself is a habit. Yeah. I'm not sure I agree, but yeah. Okay. understand. We'll make your argument. Well, because I think it's, it's, it is an acquired behavior. And habits are fundamentally behaviors. I mean, I don't think a mindset. Mindset is not a behavior, though. It is. <laughs> mindset is a frame. It's a frame. It's a way of viewing the world and thinking about the world. And that's not a behavior? Of course it is. Well, the thinking is. Sure. But the, right? Okay. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's yeah it's it's all behavior cuz i mean it's something you're changing from one way of of behaving to another way of behaving and that behavior comes with a, a perspective but it's not something that's that's inherent in you as a person necessarily anyway right. let's move on, let's move on to the next one you can think yeah, about that yeah we'll agree it's, to disagree on that yeah okay perfect curiosity yeah so curiosity um the habit, reason i have it or not well <laughs> i mean it's almost like a natural disposition for a lot of people Right. And so one question that I'm interested in um, that you hear a lot in sales is like around motivation. How much can you give someone else motivation or make them more motivated? Right. And I would intrinsic versus extrinsic. Sorry. Easy for me to say. Yeah. Go ahead. That's right. And I would argue you can make a small difference, but there's not a lot you can do to make an unmotivated person motivated. Right. and some people will just be naturally more motivated or aggressive in, in the way they approach the world. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with curiosity. I do think there are ways to become more curious 
And I think the manifestation of having the, I don't know if you'd call it a skill or just sort of the, the disposition or personality trait of being curious. One of the ways that would manifest is by asking questions and focusing primarily on other people. And right. I think that that's a behavior that can be learned right. um, and will have the effect. This is sort of like, you know, is, is it the tail wagging the dog? Um, <laughs> it will have the effect of making you more curious because you'll learn interesting things about people where if you're asking a lot of questions, you're going to be surprised at what you find. You're going to be surprised by how often your assumptions about people are wrong or about how right. unlikely it is for you to be able to know as much as you think you know um, about other people. So yeah, curiosity, I think is an important habit. And I, you know, I follow your stuff, Andy. So I know it's kind of a core tenant of what you talk about. And it's, it's, you find that very important as well. And I think there's no two ways about it. The curious person will be more successful when it comes to selling than the person who is more self-interested or just oriented towards going out and pitching and, you know, talking your ear off. Yeah, I agree. And I, it's interesting you brought up that point, last point, is because I have an article open on one of my devices somewhere. Unfortunately, it's not in front of me. Is um, I think it was in the HBR, Harvard Business Review, about article that the headline was, you know, curiosity is more important than intelligence, you know, in, in terms of success. And I think that's the case. You know, I think that, that sometimes people get stuck to the point you made precisely, and, and I see it oftentimes in sales, is you know, we arm sellers with a list of scripted questions, and sometimes they're just not, the individual isn't curious enough to sort of move beyond that, right? They don't ask a question that they don't know the answer to, or that they you know, don't know what to expect in terms of an answer, which to me is is you know, a behavior that you'd want people to to be able to adopt is, you know, to have that, um, now if it's confidence or interest to ask those types of questions, those great questions that you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, you bring up a good point there is, you know, for curiosity to be, to be genuine, you know, we can't just be robots or monkeys asking questions about where someone grew up or, you know, what, whatever the, the sort of standard questions are. Do you do X? Right. Do you do X? What's the weather like? How was your weekend? Mm -hmm. On and on and on, right? There's all these like standard small talk questions we can ask. But I think true curiosity comes from having an interest in gleaning the information from the other person and really trying to understand them. Um, that's where true curiosity comes from. But the good news is um, you can get more curious or become more curious by asking those questions and especially asking the follow-up questions in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but which I think asking the great follow-up questions is a, a great habit. And yeah, one in particular I love is, uh, Michael Bungay Stanier in his book, the coaching habit, what he calls his awe habit, A W E awe question, excuse me, which is, and what else, right? When you're asking somebody a question, they give you an answer and you get in the habit of, of asking, well, and what else can you tell me about that? Mm -hmm. That, that then to the point you made earlier, I think that just continues to breed curiosity if you're interested. Yeah. And I, I think about it in sort of a, from a tactical perspective for anybody listening to this, if you're, you know, whether or not you feel like you're curious enough doesn't really matter, but if you feel like 
there are opportunities to learn more about other people. And maybe you change the subject too fast, or there are times when you make assumptions and you just move on. Um, the question I like to uh, ask comes from um, Alex Bloomberg, the co-founder now of Gimlet, but mm. the, the guy who started Planet Money. Um, his key question, which also comes from Ira Glass, This American Life, is what do you make of that? So mm-hmm. someone will say something, um, you know, in this case, we're in a sales environment and our prospect says something about particularly the problem that they're having. I would always ask, what do you make of that? And I think the power there is um, they're then going to try to come up with an explanation and it can shine a light on how good that explanation is, um, you know, sort of what else is going on with them. And the more we ask these follow-up questions and what else, what do you make of that? There's lots of other variations of this. If we ask that question two, three, four times, you'll be shocked at how much more you learn as opposed to whether you just moved on from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, I think, People get so, sellers get so anxious to get through the list of questions they have, oftentimes, that, yeah, they don't devote the time to stop and say, oh, yeah, they really opened the door for me to ask a follow-on question. Let me do that. And the simple one, yeah, what do you make of that? And what else can you tell me about that? Oh, that's really interesting. Tell me more. All examples of things that you don't need to have any knowledge, (laughs) any greater knowledge about the subject in order to ask those. And people love to respond. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. So another thing about questions I'm interested in your perspective on is, is, and this is an area that I see increasingly that's that's missing. And I think partly because sellers are being trained that that this personal connection is less important with buyers than it used to be, which I completely rejected out of hand. But but for me, when when uh, yeah, I was in the midst of my sales career before doing this stuff. Is I understood that that people had dual motivations for for the decision they were undertaking to make. That they had it, something from the company perspective. Hey, this is what's best for the company, and they always hold this what's best for me as an individual. And I, I think a really important habit that I've always worked with sellers to develop is make sure that you ask about both perspectives when you're asking questions. Because you, in essence, I believe that if you have five stakeholders that are making a decision, that when you understand their motivations on two levels, you really almost have 10 stakeholders. And you really need to understand the perspectives of each of those. What do you make of that? <laughs> I see what you did there. Um <laughs> I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's tricky to thread the needle 10 different ways, right? At, at some point we need to decide what's in and what's out um, in the way that we're approaching our sale, but generally more information is better. Yeah. So I totally agree with you. I do think that the likelihood that we would have direct access to really intimately understand five people seems unlikely um, but certainly the, the, your point stands, which is um, it's not enough to just understand the company's goals. You're going to have usually at a minimum a de- one decision maker, if not also an influencer or two, or two and a champion. And I think whoever you're speaking to, 
um, understanding why they care about what they're trying to do or what they're trying to buy, but more importantly, what they're trying to accomplish will help uh, to serve as motivation to sell the change that you're trying to implement with them. Right. So Mm -hmm. that to me, that's always a reference point because it not only tells me how to, you know, what, what are the notes that I want to hit for this sale to really make sense and have some urgency for the client, but also, um, you know, how motivated are they? So yeah, I totally agree. I, I think there's the personal level and there's the company level. And it's something that we always need to think about when we're um, talking to our prospects. So another one that that I believe is hugely important, and people have various names for this, but I mean, for me, uh, we're talking about listening, is I don't, I don't never been a big fan of the active listening thing, but I like to phrase as you have to listen to understand as opposed to listen to respond. Um, what do you talk about in terms of a listening habit? Why do you not like active listening? Because I've seen too many people practice it where it's an affectation as opposed to actually listening to understand. Okay. Well, that's a separate problem. Yeah, um, but still. But oftentimes okay. in sales, we know that we see this problem all the time, especially again for uh, less experienced people, a little more reliant on the script is they're just listening to hear somebody top, stop talking so they can ask the next question. Right. And I, I would say what that reveals is a lack of mastery in the material and the sales process, right? Because if you're listening, if you're doing, I think what you're saying is active listening is a way for people to go through motions without listening. But yeah. I think you can, do, you know, you're going to have the same problem if you instead say, listen to understand, like they're going to have the same problem, which is they're always thinking about the next thing that they want to say. And they're not thinking about what the person is actually saying or what they can do with that information. So I, you know, I think what that's revealing is this lack of mastery in my material. So if I understand my sales process and I don't have to reference a script, that is actually going to free me up a lot more in order to be in the moment and talk Mm -hmm. to the person, Mm -hmm. right? Because I, I already have it down pat. I know in my mind, I have a mental model for how I want this conversation to go. Um, and the different points at which we can make a left turn or right turn or whatever it is. Um, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I didn't realize my mic was so sensitive. You could hear me <laughs> catch my breath. Is I'm oh, sorry, is, but is, is, well, I think the listening goes hand in hand with the curiosity. When I say to listen, to understand is, is part of it. Is, it's a part of your human selling skills are that you're attuned enough to the person you're, you're speaking with that you know whether you've got to the point where you understand whether it's three times you're following up with, you know, what do you make of that and so on, or four times or where you, you understand, you have the confidence that you understand. And maybe what I always like to do is, is actually ask them to make sure and verify that I understood. But I think that's so important as a habit to get into because you know, I think understanding is, is a huge source of value for buyers. Yeah, the one that complaints about sellers is, well, they don't really understand what I'm trying to do here, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can make people feel understood, which we know from Maslow is you know, one of people's basic human needs, I think there's tremendous value there. Well, I will point out that 
verifying that you understood them is a key cornerstone active listening behavior. So, sure. um, yeah, I mean, and, and I agree this, this is exactly how I coach my clients is if we repeat what we understand from the client and ask them, did I get that right? Or would you like to clarify something or tell me I'm totally off base? Mm-hmm. Do it. Cause I want to know my goal is to understand, not just, you know, listen to you talk so I can get out my next question. Totally agree with you. I think, you know, embedded in this idea of curiosity is we do have to care at some level, right? So if you genuinely only care about your whatever, your bonus, your commission, hitting your numbers, buying, I once had a um, rep from HubSpot, which is one of my favorite stories to tell, tell me that he was really excited to buy a new condo. And if he closed this deal with me, it would get him closer to buying the condo. And I was like, (laughs) wow, I can't imagine a more self-serving narcissistic start to this conversation. Well, he'd Uh, probably been told to say that though. He'd probably been encouraged by a manager to say, look, this is how you can build a connection with the the buyer when you're be completely transparent about your motivations. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you want to be transparent about your motivations if they're the right motivations. Right. So you, you bring up a really good point there and I, I want to come back to curiosity in a second, but you know, I, I had someone on, um, I, I'm doing this series right now called client con. It's an online speaker mm-hmm. series. And, um, I had someone on who you hear this advice all the time, like be authentic. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've recently also separately had a different person on my podcast who said that. And I was like, you know, you're saying be authentic, but if someone's a jerk, right, you're not going to give them the advice to be authentic. That's not really what you're asking for, <laughs> right? You're saying- That's a good point. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah. What you're really saying is care about the person and express that you care about them. Like that, that is what creates a sort of uh, collaborative, meaningful relationship. It's mm-hmm. not authenticity, Right. Um, so, you know, if, if I go to someone and say, I just want you to know, before we start this conversation, the only reason I'm here is to hit my quota go right like that, Mm -hmm. that's authentic, but that's not going to solve the problem of having a really piss poor approach to sales. Right. So back to this idea of curiosity, I was listening to a podcast with, um, Ken Jennings, the famous Jeopardy champion. champion. Yeah. And he was talking about memory. And, you know, he must get asked this all the time. How do you have such a great memory? And he was like, I don't, he was saying not just him, but people who are good at trivia, they don't have some sort of superhuman memory. They're just interested in way more things than the average person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you're interested in things, you're more likely to remember them. And so, you know, going back to this idea of habits, if we do ask questions and one of the rewards, you know, we haven't touched on the habit loop, but I, I mentioned it earlier. There's a queue, right? We're right. on a sales call. My routine is I'm going to ask open-ended questions and follow up with, and what else, or what do you make of that? Mm-hmm. And then the reward can be the interesting stuff I learned that I never would have known about this person. And now I have a better relationship and wow, voila, a better opportunity than I had before. So I think having that genuine interest is a bit of a precursor. I'm not totally sure how to make an absolute narcissist interested in other people. I'm not sure that that's possible, (laughs) right? 
Um, so I, I do think one, one exercise, I'm sure you've heard this before, Andy, this is like sales training 101 is like, write down three things that you find interesting about people and ask questions about those things. So like, where did they go to school? Where did they grow up? Whatever it is, mm. find something to be interested in about everybody because there are definitely moments of real connection um, that could uh, that could um, be found, right? And there are things that you genuinely are interested in about total strangers on average, right? Again, mm-hmm. the, the sure. nar- narcissists can just hang up now and stop listening. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's my feeling is like the, the one thing that we were nibbling on that needs to be said directly is there has to be some genuine interest there. Yeah. Well, let me ask a sort of related question because we were talking about this human connection is, um, and I had a long conversation with somebody I interviewed on the show yesterday that by the time people hear this will probably have just come out as well, is, is likability a habit? Hmm. And is it important? So making likability a habit, I would say would run directly counter to authenticity. Right. So if you are to truly be yourself, by definition, we know not everyone's going to like you. And whatever your personality is, some people will be more drawn to you than others. Period. Right. Right? Um, I I think we also just sort of established that there are times when you don't want to be authentic if you're a narcissist, for instance. Can I cuss on your show, Andy? Uh, Lightly, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll pass. I, th- that was that was a polite way of saying please don't. Um, so I, I won't. But I I think you know my advice is don't be a jerk, right? And like yeah, th- this goes back to Dale Carnegie. Um, you know mm-hmm. how to win friends and influence people is like people. I don't think the advice is like how to be likable. The main takeaway for that book, in my opinion, is how to be more other oriented and how to be more considerate, right? How do I empathize more with what someone else is going through and not treat them as some sort of two-dimensional flat being, right? They They have like all kinds of things going on in their lives. And so there's lots of ways for me to empathize with them. So I don't think that likability is a habit, but I do think being considerate could be yeah, is it a habit or a skill? I don't know the answer to that. Um, but it 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 is it I think more than likability in sales, being considerate is is uh very important. Which can make you likable, yeah. Yeah, I I this is this is yeah, people have been writing about this. You know, first of all, there's this whole idea of relationships and sales being unnecessary, which some of that's really a semantic issue that people are getting into. Yeah, we don't need to be taking people out to play golf and take them to dinners, but by virtue of working with someone to help them achieve something, there is a relationship, a connection. Right. And yeah, to your point earlier, yeah, there are lots of jerks and sales and some can do well. Um, but if you have the ability to be likable, given that the difference between winning and losing is oftentimes so small, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I agree. And I, I just, it's a lot easier to move through life, um, treating people well and being considerate to them and, 
you know, always for me, it comes back to the golden rule. Like if you were to create a world where you could define how people are going to treat you, like that's how you should treat other people. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, I, I think it's actually fairly simple when it comes down to it. So I totally agree. Um, I, I do not think, in fact, I know from my own personal experience, you don't need to be the golf buddy or the, you know, someone who goes out for drinks all the time with the client that can help. But I think increasingly what we're going to see in a post COVID world is that's going to continue to matter less and less. And I've felt for a long time that as buyers have more information about what's available in the marketplace, um, that it, it matters even less than it did before, unless you're in a completely commoditized industry mm. where there's absolutely complete transparency in terms of pricing and there's no demonstrable difference between you and anyone else, then likability may be your differentiator. But I think most people listening to this won't be in that situation. Well, I think... Well, sort of, sort of agree, sort of don't. I mean, I think that that people's decisions that they make uh, are some total of a lot of small things as well as big things. And again, I firmly believe, and I write and talk about this all the time, is that you know if I were to ask a seller, which I do, is okay. So on your last deal, how much did you win by? I mean, were you? What was your margin of victory? Were you? Did you win by one percent? You win by ten percent? You know, quantify for me how much you won by. And yeah, as you know, it's virtually impossible to do that, right? And so, well, not virtually. Yeah, it's it actually impossible. Okay. Literally that. impossible. Okay, it's actually impossible. Thank you. Uh-huh. So, if that's the case, in my belief and my experience, been is by paying attention, being considerate, all these other things that that in aggregate do make a difference could be the difference you know there was some research done that was published i forget who did it but it was published in harvard business review i don't know within the last 10 years this idea of tie-breaking selling where people had studied this this particular phenomenon and found that it was yeah small intangible things that made the difference and swayed the decisions that's not surprising i mean because if if you have so I think this, a, a lot of this is sort of contingent on how your buyers buy and how you sell and your, you know, your market, your market leverage is a big mm. part of this, right? Because if you have tremendous market leverage and there's no true competitor, like those small things are going to matter a lot less, right? Because you're going to be in a category Absolutely. of one. Absolutely. Right. But if, if your buyers are putting together three to five options, which is sort of like the, as you know, the fortune especially 500 or greater, um, way of doing it, then yeah, those little things start to matter a lot. You things like, and I'd love for, to hear what you think are things that really matter, but I would think of things like, um, your patience with the client, your response times, what sort of positive or negative experiences they've had with people on your support or technical mm-hmm. staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how timely are you in your email responses? Do they understand your email responses or does it like raise more questions than it answers? (laughs) Um, Those things really, really start to matter um, as you're in a tight running uh, for a deal. Yeah. 
agree 100%. I mean, for me, one thing that's always been hugely important of that is the responsiveness. But not, not you combined, uh, for me, responsiveness and two of the points you made is it's, it's not enough just to be fast. You have to be complete, right? If somebody's asked you a question, if you're fast to respond but you don't provide them the information they need or it's incomplete, then you haven't been responsive to their question. Um, and so this idea of saying, look, I need to provide something of value uh, at speed is really crucial for a lot of companies because of the, the buyer experience that you talked about. And I mm -hmm. found that, yeah, some really huge enterprise deals that we've worked on, I've worked on personally in the past, is that was a difference maker. Right? It was, it was separating. I, I, in fact, I remember with one client I worked with where we, we trained the sales team on this idea of responsiveness. And yeah, they would they started being able to penetrate competitive accounts, installed-based competitive accounts. They couldn't before because the customer might have a question or maybe they're looking at adding some additional capability. They'd call their incumbent vendor who wouldn't respond for three days. Whereas my client people would be on the phone in 30 minutes with them. Right. And you think these little things, just a little thing, that responsiveness was huge. And we're talking about, you know, Fifty to hundred thousand dollar type transaction size, right? Yeah. All right. Last last one I want to ask you about is uh, continuous learning. Yes. Go For ahead. me, such a big habit that people need to get into is otherwise, how do you how do you stay relevant if you don't? Yeah, I mean, and you know, you've you've definitely been in sales longer than I have, and you've probably seen like phases or chapters of how the market changes. Um, so I'm sure, well, my guess is you have a stronger opinion ab about this than I do, or at least more direct experience. But in some ways I'm a little sad, honestly, Andy, because when I look around at the way the economy is changing and not just the American economy, the global economy, right? the pace of change is so fast. And I, my sort of I think probably innate driving motivation for most everything is to learn as much as possible so I can understand the world and in mm -hmm. particular, why people do the things they do. Like right. that is the common thread in everything I've done. And I'm just voracious about that. Right. So yep. I will study how does a conversion rate work on a website, but I'll also study like the neuroscience of how people perceive uh, fear or, you know, what is, I talked earlier about motivation. Um, another kind of question that you and I have talked about privately before is how good is a personality test at telling us anything that we want to know? Right. I, I want to know all of those things. Right. And I, it's just natural for me. No one told me to do that. And I think that in order to really thrive in the economy, people need to adopt more of this ongoing learning orientation where they're willing to update what they think they know every, maybe not every six months, but every 12 or 24 months, certainly, and constantly be on the search for learning and understanding more and more. And just from a concrete perspective, one of the big forces that's, you know, really making this mandatory is uh, computing and, Artificial intelligence is vastly overused mm -hmm. and it doesn't truly exist, but it's possible that it will. And it's certainly true that there are 
systems that feel intelligent that can replace people in what they're doing now. And, you know, given that this is the sales enablement podcast, there will be a time when some flavors of sales development reps will be completely obsolete because they're worse than a robot at doing it. And the only antidote for this is to continue to learn more and apply it to what you're doing. So I know this is a little bit of a a rant slash PSA, but I truly, (laughs) truly believe this. Um, And I think it's sort of beyond the, the burden of proof at this point. We know for sure that the economy continues to move at a faster pace, particularly if you're selling technology or you're around technology. You really do have to update what you know often. Yeah. Well, I think so, and I agree, but the the pace of change, I think a, maybe a different frame to look at it for people listening to this, that, you know, AI and the impact it's going to have isn't something that should catch you by surprise, right? Things are changing. AI is ever present in our life already in various, various ways, apps we use and so on. Uh, it's it being integrated into various applications, you know, ring DNA and our conversational intelligence uh, platform, conversational AI. But, you know, for sellers, it's going to come in ways that can both help you and, to your point, perhaps certain people, you know, have a negative impact. And so the warning signs are out there if you're not taking steps through learning, through changing yourself. You talked about every six to 12 months. I think Stephen M.R. Covey in Speed of Trust talks about, I think every year you're supposed to sort of reinvent yourself is, yeah, then the faults could be on you because it is happening and it's coming and you've got plenty of notice. So if the question I guess really becomes is for, and it's, it seems to me like I was thinking about this, is this, it's a mix of like motivation and habit. How do you, how do you encourage people? How do you teach people to, um, to, to learn. Well, again, I think this comes down to interest, right? I, I don't believe that I can, I can teach people the mechanics of how do you become a, a more effective learner, right? So take any topic and we, we've covered a lot of different stuff, yeah. right? How memory works, right? <laughs> Which is sort of like a meta learning topic. <laughs> um, but let's just take that for, for this example, you know, I can teach you how to go research it, how to evaluate the information that you're finding, how to validate what are reliable sources of this, what are different opinions about how memory works, and then what are the actual actionable steps that you can apply to yourself in order to make this material valuable and useful to you. I could teach you all of that, but none of it's going to matter if you're not actually interested in the in the topic. Um, so I don't know that it's my you know, is it my responsibility or my, uh, is the impetus on anyone but yourself in order to go learn more? I, I don't think that that's our role, right? Um, I do want to, um, well, uh, well, different, a different perspective on that though, is that, you know, if you're an employer and you've brought people on board and you've onboarded them, you're investing in training, continuing to invest in supporting and developing them, at some point, if if they don't have this sort of intrinsic motivation to keep learning, then they sort of you know become stale, right? They go past their expiration date. But I'm just wondering because I again this is something that I think about quite a bit is is how do we 
instill in people this this learning habit, or is it always, you know, to just maybe something that that if people aren't interested, they're just not interested. But it it does become very self limiting if you don't do it. Well, one of, one of the great examples of how do you make someone more interested in the first place is Sesame Street, of course, right? Which teaches kids ABCs <laughs> and how to count. And the key understanding there, why do you laugh, Andy? Well, I'm just envisioning Sesame Street for salespeople. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, that is essentially what online learning is, at least good online learning, right? So the, the key ingredient to Sesame Street or their key insight was if we also make this entertaining in addition to being educational, more kids will watch it and then more kids will be able to read and learn their ABCs. Now, whether or not it's a good idea to teach people that you can only learn if you're also entertained, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube on that one. Um, but that's, that's what we expect, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I go to YouTube to learn all kinds of nerdy things yeah. and the channels that hold my attention are entertaining in addition to being informative. And so I think, you know, that's not to say, um, dress up in costume and, and make, you know, do a K-pop song version of your sales playbook. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is understand what's that. It could work though. Um, yeah, I'll pass on watching that training. (laughs) What I am saying is you have to understand what, what your people are interested in. And so to some degree, when it comes to, you know, we keep coming back to this idea of motivation, but when it comes back to essentially what you're saying is we need to sell people on the idea of continued learning, right? And if we're to sell anything, the first prerequisite is to understand the motivations, interests, and desires of the person we're selling to. And so this may not scale to your entire team. You may need multiple versions of this, mm-hmm. right? And and I think what's clear is telling people you have to be a long a lifelong learner and that's a requirement of working here clearly is just not going to work for everybody, right? No, absolutely. It's you been know, proven, right? Yeah, 10% of people it'll work for because they would have done it anyways, exactly. right? They didn't need to hear anything from you at all. So yeah, I, I don't know how much motivation we can give to people. I don't know how much we can impart on them that it's important to learn. But, you know, I want to come back to your point about AI that, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise to you that AI is going to grow. And I think you can say this about any long-term trend, right? You could apply your exact message to like, you know, blank shouldn't come as a surprise to you. Mm -hmm. Climate change is an obvious one. Right. Is if you claim to be surprised by the developments of AI, you're just in denial. There is no possible way if you were paying attention at all for the last 20 years, right? Google can now call a small business and ask them their hours and publish it to their website without any human involvement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was available several years ago. So we can only, you know, the, the sort of limits of where it could go are totally misunderstood or, or unknown, but we know for sure that there will be more advances and they will be rapid. So if you feel as though, not you, Andy, I'm talking to our dear, yeah, audience, very yeah. dear listener who's still listening right. to me rant about this. Um, if you feel as though 
Um, you don't need to learn. I, I would impart on you that you're mistaken and that you're in denial because um, things are just going to keep changing rapidly. I mean, I hear from people all the time now who say, I need to learn prospecting because I don't understand this LinkedIn thing. And now I can't meet with anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, well, okay, better late than never for sure. Sure. Right. right. But at the same time, you had to know that this was a valuable skill, even if we weren't in COVID times. So yeah, 15 uh, years ago. Right, exactly. So um, this is a tough love featuring Liston and that'll be the end of it. All right. Well, let's end on that note. That's a great note to end on. So um, listen, that's great. (laughs) I went in all sorts of interesting directions, which I loved. Absolutely love. So hopefully people enjoyed it. Um, it's a big topic habits and one that obviously both of us are passionate about and some great books to read. I mean, you were talking about the habit loop. People read the power of habit by Charles Duhigg, Duhigg, certainly important book to read. Um, atomic habits, James clear, another great book to read, uh, triggers by Marsha Goldsmith. Also another great book on habits to read. Any others that you recommend? Um, the one that I always think about is tiny habits by BJ Fogg, BJ who, Fogg another who, great one. Yeah. who Sorry, originated all of the research of all the other books you've mentioned. Yep. Um, and also near I all, I think famously yep. applied it to software products, which we, he's now on an apology tour about why Facebook is so bad after he wrote the playbook for how to make the next Facebook right. and his book hooked. Right. Um, but his hooked new great book, book. Yeah, the apology tour is called Indistractable is his new book about how to break habits. So um oh, we'll have to pick that one up. All right. So listen, if people want to connect with you, how can they do that? Uh you can go to LinkedIn, of course. Um, I am the only list in Witherill that you will find on there. Uh good luck spelling that. Um, it's probably easier to go to my website, servedontsell.com. I also have a podcast, the Modern Sales Podcast, if you just punch it in. You'll be able to find it. Andy, of course, you've been a guest on I've the show. I've been a guest. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and I uh, I appreciate you having me here. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of this episode. And I want to thank Liston Witherell for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.